Now we light the fourth candle of Advent. This is the candle of love. Jesus demonstrated self-giving love in his ministry as the Good Shepherd. Advent is a time for kindness, thinking of others, and sharing with others. It is a time to love God, love as God loved us by giving his most precious gift. As God is love, let us be loved also. In John 13, 34 to 35, we find these words. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for the love you give each one of us every day. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name for the confidence to love all our brothers and sisters who are in Christ. Father, we, we pray for, for your peace and comfort for all those who are suffering this holiday season. Father, give them your presence. And Father, let us be a reflection of your truth and life in everything we do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Great job, guys. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Great job. Everybody did such a great job this year. Awesome. Well, at, at least I remembered. You know, and I think, you know, it's funny is, you know, you have these moments and you're like, yeah, that's strange. I wonder why um, Fred has got the lights a little dimmer than normal. Thank you, Fred. You tried, so. Okay, well, let's start again, shall we? Uh, as we talked about earlier, we are still in our series on the exchange, um, and hopefully God will exchange my embarrassment for something better in just a minute. Um, but we have been in Isaiah 61. Let's go ahead and go back to that, and like I said, we'll start over here and act like this never happened. Um, even though I have a feeling you will remember this for a long, long time. Isaiah 61, 3. Jen, if you want to throw that back up there, awesome. It says, and provide those who grieve in Zion. This is God obviously speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the children of Israel, but also speaking to us as well. And to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And this morning we're going to kind of focus in on, on one of those things. Well, obviously we talked about ashes and the beauty and this morning we're really going to look at this idea of the oil of joy for mourning. The oil of joy for mourning. And, and here's the thing, um, you know this time of year is usually a very excitable year, very joyful type of, of year. And, and as a child obviously I, I was loving this time of year as an adult. I love this time of year, but I, I have come to realize that for a lot of people, Christmas is not a joyful time. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of mourning that goes around Christmas. And it's kind of interesting because um, I don't know about you. I don't know what your family does this time of year. One of the things that my family loves to do is, or at least Em and I do, Easton puts up with it, uh, is we like to watch Christmas movies. You know, we like to watch all the classics, you know, and, and, and enjoy those together as a family. And, and so we've watched, you know, Mickey's Christmas Carol last night. We watched The Muppets Christmas Carol. I think that's, that's a good one, by the way. I like that one. I mean, and we watched The Grinch, and we watched all these things. And what's interesting to me 
is as you watch these, and especially like, like some of the, 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 the ones that are you know, based on like books, you know, like I don't know if you've read that on How the Grinch Stole Christmas, it's not a very long book, but somehow they get a basically almost two-hour movie out of it. And so these people that, have, that come after the author, they kind of say, how can we make this story make sense? How can we add to the story? Why, why does basically the Grinch hate Christmas? Why, does, why is Scrooge so mean and, and angry about Christmas? Why is it at Christmas that all these things seem to come to the forefront? And so they, a lot of times they begin to give you background information. Okay, this is why. They're the way they are. In the story of A Christmas Carol, if you've ever read the book, there's, there's a lot of depth about why Scrooge is why he is. Yes, he's greedy. Yes, he's a miser. But there's also some deep, deep hurts that take place in his life around Christmas time. There's, there's this stories about his childhood when he's younger and he doesn't have a lot of friends. And, and basically at Christmas, all the students go away back to home for Christmas. And Scrooge stays at school and he's alone. And he's sad. There's another part of the book where he has a love interest and, and they've kind of tried to make this work, but he's, he's kind of, you know, dragging his feet and he refuses to commit and won't marry. And finally, she's had enough and she walks away from him around Christmas time. Now, obviously, in The Grinch, we don't see that background, but if you've seen any of the movies, it's kind of the same concept. It's, it's about loneliness around Christmas. It, it basically is like there's a reason why people hurt during this time of year. There's a lot of mourning that goes along with Christmas. We don't talk about it. We don't sing about it. But a lot of people walk around this time of year with maybe a smile on their face and mourning in their heart. Jesus came not just so that you could put a fake smile on your face this time of year, but so that he could change your heart. And in this scripture, we see this idea that Jesus came to exchange the oil of joy for mourning. The oil of joy for mourning. And it's interesting here that, that Isaiah, he is speaking to a group of people, his original audience, who really understood this concept of oil. And it's interesting because why didn't Isaiah just say, listen, Jesus came to exchange joy for mourning. He uses this concept of taking it a little bit further and calls it oil of joy. And this morning what I want to do is I want to look at that oil. I want to see why, why does God use that? Because here's the thing. I believe that when the hearers of Isaiah's original words, when they read them, and these, again, remember we talked about it a couple weeks ago. These are people that are in captivity. They are in mourning. They are hurting. They've been in captivity almost 70 years now. And this prophecy that Isaiah is giving forth by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to encourage them that, hey, something good is coming. Something, there is going to be an exchange that really takes place. Because here's the thing, and this is in your notes. Jesus knows how to restore joy to the heart that mourns. He knows how to do this. This is not something that he looks at and goes, oh boy, this is too hard, or that's too deep, or that heart is too massive. God and Jesus know how to restore that joy. And in the scripture, he uses the concept of oil to people who really understood what oil was, how it was used. Because here's the thing, maybe you use oil in your car every 3,000 miles, and maybe some of you maybe use oil at your jobs. Maybe some of you use oil for cooking or other things. But maybe not every day. These individuals that heard this, 
the context, the original hearers would have immediately been going, my goodness, they have literally hundreds of different uses for oil. And so God comes and he says, basically, I'm going to bring you some oil for joy. This oil of joy. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at how Jesus wants to use this and use this idea of, of the oil and see how God wants to do that in our lives. But before you do, I want you to do me a favor, okay? This is kind of where I was going and I had to stop and realize we, we messed up, okay? Or I messed up, not you, I messed up. But here's the deal. In your Bibles, when you look at Isaiah 61, okay, the verse 3, our text, there's a word in there, and it may be different depending on the translation that you use. So if you have a paper Bible, I want you to underline it. If you have a, uh, a, a digital, you know, you have it on your phone, highlight it. But I want you to highlight the word instead. Okay? Instead. Instead, and you've got to understand this, instead is a great word in Scripture. Because our God, when he comes to do his exchanges or that instead word, it's something amazing that happens. And so I want you to understand that God is still a God that brings forth some really good insteads into our hearts and our lives. And one of them is this idea of the oil of joy for a heart that mourns. So how does Jesus want to use the oil of joy in our lives? How, how does he use this kind of metaphor and this idea of oil to help us see? And so again, we're going to look at some of the ways that they would have used oil at the time to help us see what God is wanting to do in our hearts today. And the first thing is Jesus wants to use the oil of joy as an ointment. ...as an ointment, okay? He wants to use it kind of as an ointment. We're going to look at several different scriptures as we go through these. What I've tried to do is kind of bring forth maybe an Old Testament scripture... ...but also a New Testament scripture. Because we're not in the Old Testament anymore... ...even though it's valid and important and we use it. Well, I wanted us to see both how God did it then... ...to the people that heard it... ...but also now how God wants to show us today... ...how he wants to use these things in our lives. So we're going to look first at Psalms 143, verse number 3. This is what it says. He says, he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. You see, at this time, oil was really used as kind of a healing agent. It was used basically as something that they would put in a wound to help it heal and to help it bring forth a... Um, to, uh, to, to be able to, to come and, and get back to where it needs to be. So when people heard this concept and they heard this oil of joy, one of the things that probably most people would have immediately realized was that God desires not just to come and bring joy, but to allow that joy to bring healing into our hearts. You see, what God loves to do is not just do a healing work in you. He loves to do a healing work and use joy to replace the mourning. Remember that word is this idea of instead. Instead. God is so good that God doesn't want to just remove your mourning and leave you a gap and a void there. He wants to be able to do a healing work inside of you. And that can be physical, it can be spiritual, it can be emotional. But again, one of the things that I've seen so much in lives and people's lives is that they need some healing. They got some more, I mean, they got some heart. Listen, listen, I don't know, maybe your life is just perfect right now, and I, I hope you're doing well. But you know what? People are hurting. Things are falling apart in people's lives. And you know what? One of the things that God desires to do is to bring some of that ointment and, and get that healing moving in them. But we also see this story in Luke. 
In Luke 10, it's a story we all heard probably many, many times. The story of the Good Samaritan. And in this story, Jesus is telling it. And he, he basically says, this man, he goes down and he's, he's captured. We're not captured. He's beaten up by robbers and, and, and left for dead, basically, on the side of the road. And people that should have stopped don't stop. You know, I'm giving you the paraphrase idea and, and, and things of that nature. And then Jesus says, you know, but, but in, in verse 33 of, of Luke 10, somebody else comes along. And so we're going to look at this and see what he does. Luke 10, 33-34, he says, Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now let me stop there for just a minute, okay? Can I, can I help us with something? And I need to do this too, because here's the deal. Like, I can get so Christmas-focused and so light-focused and song-focused and presence-focused and all these things that I tend to forget that there are people all around me that are hurting this time of year, okay? What the Samaritan does first, before we're going to see what he does later, which is important, is he has compassion. He felt apathy for him. He went, man, I'm hurting because of this person is hurting, okay? It's hard sometimes to do that, I know, but it's important. So he felt compassion. Now listen, verse 34 says, Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with what? Olive oil and wine. And he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. What, what, what we know at this time is, is what people would use is they would obviously use wine as kind of an antiseptic because of the alcohol in it. And then the reason why he would pour oil in it was a soothing agent. It would help with the pain. Listen, and, and, and we need to kind of look at this in two ways. Number one, if you are a hurting person this morning, if you are in mourning right now, you need to understand that Jesus wants to pour in some oil and some, some wine. What's the wine do? The wine kills. Listen, this is important you get this. The wine kills the things internally that could kill you. Okay? Listen, if you stay in a place of hurt and bitterness and mourning, it will affect everything that you touch. And I don't say that to scare you. I don't say, that, oh, you're, no, no, I tell you that because it will, it will literally kill things in your life. Jesus wants to come and he wants to pour in that oil so that what could kill you would be killed. And then he wants to pour in some of this olive oil. He wants to, he, listen, this is, this is hard sometimes to get. It's, it's easy to say, it's easy to hear, and it's hard to get because of the magnitude of what I'm about ready to say. The God of the universe who spoke the very worlds into existence cares about your pain. He cares. He wants to come and bring healing to it. He longs to enter into that situation and put some of that oil of joy and say, listen, I know you're hurting. I know this hurts. I know it was painful. You know how we know that Jesus knows? Because Jesus felt it himself. Amen. Why did Jesus come? He came for lots of reasons. But one is he felt the pain that you felt. 
He felt what it feels like to be rejected. He felt what it felt like to hurt at the loss of something dear to him. He knows. Jesus isn't like this God that sits back and goes, but I really can't relate to you. He can relate because he felt it himself. And he goes, I want to come and I want to heal that place in your heart and in your life. Here's the thing you've got to remember. And I've tried to put one of these under each of these so you kind of feel the pattern and you see, but you've got to get it. Jesus knows how to heal and mend a broken heart. He does. Why? Because he had a broken heart. Because he allowed his father to heal him in that area. He knows what it feels like and he cares and he wants to pour some of that oil of joy direct, listen, listen, directly on the wound. It doesn't do you a lick of good if you get a big old cut on your left arm and you say, okay, God, I need a little oil and joy on my right foot. That's not going to do it. He wants to go directly to the hurt and directly to the pain. And I know that's scary for a lot of times for us. But he knows how to heal. He knows how to mend. He knows how to allow that oil of joy to replace the mourning and the hurt that we have sometimes in our hearts and our lives. Number two, Jesus wants to use the oil of joy as fuel. As fuel, okay? Obviously at this time, they would use oil in basically, um, you know, for ointment and things of that nature. Um, but they also obviously use it for fuel. They would burn it in their lamps, okay? And so they would totally have immediately known, hey, this is something that God wants to do. And so we're going to look at some interesting scripture to help us see this idea of what God wants to do. And it's, it's found what I like to call in the, in the book where Bible plans for a year go to die, okay? And that's Leviticus, okay? Now listen, if you're going to do a Bible plan for the year, I'm, I tell you this not so to discourage you at all. I tell you to be aware, okay? There is a lot of really good stuff in Leviticus, but you got to get to it, okay? So listen, if you, if you get to, I guess usually like those Bible plans, I think you usually get to them about February. If you get to February and you hit Leviticus and you're having some trouble, you call me and we'll go through some Leviticus. But this is tough. But here's the deal. Let's look at this together. In Leviticus 6, we see something very interesting. Basically, in Leviticus, we're seeing this idea of, of God telling the Levitical priest how to handle certain sacrifices and certain things, okay? And so in Leviticus 6, we're seeing this where basically they're, they're being told how to handle grain offerings and how to handle all these things. Now, to us, listen, who live under the new covenant, it can be very easy to go, this doesn't matter for us. This is, this is Old Testament, Old Covenant stuff. But listen, here's the deal. God put it in your Bible for a reason and a purpose. we got to figure out sometimes a little bit deeper what it is. But look what it says here, okay? So we're going to look in Leviticus 6, 12 through 13. He is speaking directly to the Levitical priest on how to handle uh, this offering and this sacrifice. And this is what it says. It says, meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning, Okay. This is basically when people would bring a certain offering and they would basically have to do a certain thing. We're not going to get into it today, but basically they'd have to bring it in and put it on the altar and let it, let it be consumed. But listen to what it says. It says each morning, it says, oh, excuse me, it says, and, and it must never go out. It must never go out. Each morning, the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will then burn the fat of the peace offering on it. And then again, remember... 
The fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. Okay, so what do we, what do we, okay, what, Aaron, what are you talking about? Why does this matter? Okay, listen, obviously to God, this mattered a lot. God basically said, listen, you need to keep putting fuel on your fire to keep it going. You never want to allow the fire to go out. A lot of times what we need to understand is God wants to use this oil of joy in our hearts and our lives. And we'll see it later when we get into a scripture in Nehemiah. But have this idea of it being strength to us and propelling us forward. It's more than just something that we can hold on to and just sit and, and, in our room and say, oh, look, oh, I have this oil of joy. The oil of joy is meant to propel us. It's meant to keep burning. It's meant to be used effectively so that God can do amazing things in you and through you. It's interesting to me that one of the things that my profession deals a lot with, and a lot of you do as well, is this concept, and we even call it, it's called burnt out. What's burnt out? The fire went out. The fire went out. Why does a fire eventually go out? It's real simple. A fire goes out because whatever is used to fuel it stops fueling it. Whether it's air, whether it's wood, whether it's whatever. When, the, when that burns off, there's nothing left to keep the fire burning. And what Jesus wants to allow the oil of joy to do in your life is to keep you moving forward, is to keep you growing, is to keep you ministering, to keep you making a difference in the world that God has placed you in. The fire burning on is very important. But we also see it in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable. And this is a parable of these ten bridesmaids. Now, I, I'm not going to get into it. I don't have a lot of time. But just so you know, what's going to happen here... The people that heard this story would have immediately understood it because they understood the bridal customs of the time. Okay, now if you would like me to get into this with you a little bit later after service, I would be more than happy to do so. But I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. Okay, at this time, basically what would happen is these bridesmaids, they're not the bride, they're not the groom, is they would wait for the return of the groom. The groom would basically, during the betrothment and all the engagement time, and we've talked about that before, he would go away to prepare a place for the bride. Okay? So he would go away, like Jesus is doing right now. He's preparing a place for us. And then the bridegroom, or the groom, excuse me, would show up totally unannounced. And basically they would call out, the groom's here. Well, the bridesmaids had a job. The bridesmaids, because they didn't know if he would come in the day or the night, they would have lamps. And these lamps were not like you would typically see the little clay ones. They'd basically be a rag on a pole, basically. And they would get those soaked with oil. And they would lead the processional of the groom to the bride's home. And then when they got there, the wedding feast would begin. Okay, this is the concept and the context of this story. So they know this because they've heard it. But now, let's, now, now that you know a little bit, let's look at what it says, starting with verse number one. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. 
When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by a shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourself. But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. Now, when we look at this story, Jesus is talking about lots of different things. It's about being ready for his return and, and all these things. But it's interesting to me that in a story of Jesus, in a parable of Jesus, he uses this concept of oil and fire and lamps going out, but also lamps getting brighter. God doesn't want your lamp to go out. He wants the fire to keep burning in you. You know what? Sometimes in our lives, you know what happens is instead of allowing that fire to burn, it kind of goes out. It kind of gets embery. It kind of doesn't produce the same type of heat that it used to. It's very easy for us to allow that to happen in our hearts and in our lives. But God says, listen, I want to add some oil to you. I want to let that joy kind of hit your heart. Listen, when you begin to live a life of joy, when you begin to live a life of thankfulness and understanding, man, what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus has done for me, you know what, man, that gets my fire going. Because God wants you to understand. Here's the deal. Jesus knows how to refill us and keep our fires burning. He knows how to fill us up and keep our fires burning. So here's the deal. If you are looking at your life right now and you're like, man, the fire just isn't what it used to be. Jesus, we can go to him and say, listen, I can make that exchange for you. I can take a life that is not full of me and full of joy and I can add to it so that it can bring forth a bright light so that we can be used. The final thing, there's three, we could talk about 10 or 12. There's tons that we could look at, but just three this morning. Number three, Jesus wants to use the oil of joy as a fragrance, as a fragrance. Now, we're going to go back to Leviticus because in Leviticus, we see once again, this idea that the priests are being told something very interesting that's going to take place during the sacrifices and the things that are going to happen during that time. So again, let's look at it together. Leviticus 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, when you present grain as an offering to the Lord, the offering must consist of choice flour. Okay, so we start with flour. Then what is added? You are to pour olive oil on it and sprinkle it with frankincense. Okay? And bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. The priest will... Scoop up out a handful of flour, moistened again with the oil, together with all the frankincense, and burn this representative portion on the altar. And then listen to what it says at the end of verse 2. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So what they would do at this time when they were giving a grain offering is they would bring this choice flour... And they would bring it to the priest. The priest would take it and they would put in olive oil and frankincense and basically make this. They would burn it. And when they would burn it, it would give off this beautiful smell. This smell that scripture tells us is a pleasing smell to God. You know, 
I, I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I'll be honest, I feel like God, maybe if he, if he was going to give me like the sniff test, there'd be days where it'd be like, okay, Aaron, that is a pleasing aroma. And there's other days where it's like, I probably smell like, you know, three-week-old onions and other sauerkraut. I'm not going to ask how many people like sauerkraut, but you shouldn't. No, I'm teasing. I mean, if you like it, it's great. But I mean, just not smelling good. And it's interesting that God says, you know what? Listen, I, I want to use this oil of joy to make you smell good. You go, Aaron, why does that, that matter? Well, we see a little bit why it matters in John 12. Because in John 12, we see a story that's very beautiful and very important and, and very um, life-giving to us. So look at John 12, starting with verse number 1 and 3. It says, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, uh, where Jesus, excuse me, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of these of those that sat at the table with him. Okay, so this is at Bethany. This is basically at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Okay, and so basically they're having this meal. So then in verse 3, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now, depending on what translation you look at, you know, there's this idea of, of, of nard, basically, of, you know, oil of nard or whatever. Let me kind of give you an idea of what this is. Basically, this was a fragrance at the time. It could be produced in a kind of like the plant form, basically, or it could be squeezed in basically as, as oil. And what Mary has here is basically that oil form of nard, and it was a smelling fragrance. It was used, like again, in some of your translations, you see this idea of perfume. And in the story, Mary comes in and she pours that oil out, and the, the whole fragrance fills the house. I, I don't know about you, but but smells matter to us. You knew that, right? Like, like the easiest way for you to get a memory jogged is to smell something you smelled when it happened. And so I can just imagine several years later, John is sitting here and he's writing out these words and talking about the supper and talking, and then Mary came in. And I can almost see him like he stops there, it's kind of in the verse two, and then he stops and he's like, you know, he thinks about it and he adds that little more. And the fragrance filled the house. And it's like almost like John can just, he's reliving this moment because of the smell. That is put off. There is something very important that we need to understand about this. That when God brings his oil of joy into our hearts and into our lives. He doesn't just want it to be something that helps you smell good. He wants to help you smell good to everyone else around you. There is a difference between basically you hiding in your house and going... Woo! Smell wonderful. This is great. And going out into a world that, quite honestly, if we're honest, doesn't smell real good right now, and is probably only going to start smelling worse. And to be a smell that literally fills the house. 
Listen, I want us to be a group of people that when we enter into a home, when we enter into a workplace, when we enter into a store, when we enter into a car, when we enter a bus, wherever we are, that when we walk in, it could be said of us and their fragrance filled the place. How do we do that? One way we do it is we allow the oil of joy to enter our hearts. And we can make a difference in people's lives because of that. This time of year, it is amazing to me how many people walk around with a scent of heaviness, a scent of fear, a scent of dread, a scent of despair. And our job, what God wants to do in us and through us, is to help us walk into those areas and bring the scent of something different. A scent of joy, not based on circumstantial happiness, but based on the fact that Jesus came and he died for us and we are saved and have an opportunity to be with him today and forever. That should bring some joy. We call it good news because it's good news. And it should bring joy. When we walk into an area, there needs to be a smell about us. There needs to be a smell that can fill a room. You ever had somebody say, oh, when that person enters the room, boy, they just, they just fill it. They just light it up. You know, it's one thing to fill a room because your personality does it. It's another thing to fill it because Jesus does it through you. Okay? And we need that. We want that. And we want that fragrance to be filled wherever we're at. Here's the deal. Jesus knows how to bring a fragrant scent to a life that has grown stale. He does it all the time. He's the exchanger. It's what he does. So you go, boy, my life doesn't smell really good. My life isn't where it needs to be. It's okay. It's okay. Because God can bring that scent back and make an impact in your life. Let's close this out by looking at some, some application together. How can we access this oil of joy? It's obvious that we need it. It's obvious that it changes our lives and those around us. So how do we get to it? How do we experience it? Because here's the deal, and this is in your notes. I wanted you to get this. Listen, this time of year, you can sing joy to the world all day long and still forfeit the oil of joy in your heart. You can't. You could sing it all day long. But there's something deeper that God wants to do. And I think that we can kind of see how God wants to help us to access this joy. To put it as an ointment. To put it in as a, as a fragrance. To put it in as a fuel. And, and, and really hundreds of other uses that were used at the time. So let's look at this together. David kind of begins this process of helping us see this. He says in Psalm 61, verse 11, it's very important. He says, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So let's hold on to that, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to take David and we're going to take another individual named Nehemiah and we're going to take these things and we're going to put them together and help us to understand how we can access it because Nehemiah also talks about joy and he talks about it in, in 8.10, the second part of this verse and it's one that, again, that we've heard a lot. It says, this is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay? So we're seeing two different ideas here. 
But I think what we want to do is we want to put them together to help us how to access this joy. And again, it's in your notes. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And his joy is accessed by being in his presence. Okay? So we need to understand here that if we're going to access the joy of the Lord, if we're going to access the oil of joy that God wants for your heart this time of year and all the time of year, it starts by getting into God's presence. Okay? I know it's a cheesy thing to say. Okay? But this time of year, it's not about the presence, it's about the presence of God. One of the things that I think really does affect people this time of year is whether it's on the radio or just the lights or the nativity scene that they may see as they're driving down the neighborhood. God's presence is very evident this time of year. And there is a joy that comes from acknowledging the presence of God. When we are in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. That idea of fullness is this idea that basically think of a, a bucket that is literally overflowing. That is, it is full. It is at the fullness level. It's not getting to the level and then stopping. It's overflowing. And David here in his psalm is explaining that. He's like, when I am near you, when I am with you, my joy is overflowing. And it gets all over everything. I'm going to tell a horrible, terrible story. Yep, I am. My wife bought something recently. And I don't know what they are. Some of you will know what they are. But they're little beads thingies. And she's laughing because she knows. And they're, they're itty, itty bitty, okay? Tiny little, like, grain of sand type things, okay? And, and you put water on these things, and they literally grow to, like, ten times their original size, okay? But it's very easy to forget that something the size of a sand is going to get that big. So she was preparing these things yesterday and so she began to put them in this vase or whatever and I'm sure it's you know it's gonna look pretty and all the get the vase and then you pour the water in and then you leave well guess what happened this was up in Easton's bathroom all of a sudden a couple hours later Easton yells mom we come running upstairs Guess what happened to all these little beads? They grew. And they were overflowing. And they were not just in the vase. They were now on the counter. And they weren't just on the counter, but they were in the sink. And they weren't just in the sink, but they were on the floor. And they were everywhere. And they kept growing. And so we're literally going, and it's, 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 like a, it's like a bad sitcom episode. We're going, and we're getting other vases, and we're pouring them in there in a bucket, and we're getting this big old Tupperware thing, and we're pouring them in there. We're like, okay, we're good. We're good. Okay, okay. A couple hours later, ah! we go up again. Everything's out all over the place. They've grown again. I ask her, how many of these things did you do? And she's like, well, I think the bag said 6,000. There have been many times in my life where I've done something where my wife has just had to turn around and walk away. 
And this was maybe the first time in my life where I had to do that with her, you know? Because I'm just going, 6,000? How many bags? I mean, but it's everywhere. Well, I think we finally, by some bedtime last night, we finally got it under control. And we do, we have like, I don't know how many bases are up there <laughs> full of these little things. And it's funny, and, and you know what? It's, it's not a big deal, because it, it is funny, and I'll laugh more about it in a year or so. Um, but, you know, that's what God wants to do with the joy. Listen, listen. Our God is so good. Like, 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 honestly, I don't know about you, but there's times where it's like, you know, God, just give me one of those little sand things. Just, just give me one, and that'll be enough. And our God, in his love and his goodness and his desire to exchange, he pours in thousands. And listen, when the water of God's spirit hits those little beads, they grow in ways that we can't even imagine. And they get over everything. Listen, can I just be honest with you? If your life and enjoy understanding if your life is not literally bubbling over with the joy of the Lord, you need to get back into God's presence. Because God wants it not just to get to the line, not just fill up halfway. God doesn't call us to be a, a half glass half full type of people. He fills it and he overflows it. Not because of us, but because of him. Get into God's presence. Let his joy and his strength fulfill us. And here's the deal. I know for some of us, when we think about that, God, why would you, why would you even want me? Why, why would you want to be in my presence? And why would you want me to be in your presence? And, and God, do you really, like really me? You want to put that type of joy in me? You want to do something awesome in my life? You came and you died for me? The answer is yes. And Isaiah 57 says something so profound and something that, honestly, I, I wasn't going to put this in here and it was like God spoke to my heart. So I know Isaiah 57 is for someone that's here or online this morning. And when I say online, maybe early, sometime this week, but you need to hear this because God desires to do something in you. And it says this in Isaiah 57, starting with verse number 18. It says, listen, this is important. I have seen what they do. Once again, okay, Isaiah here is prophesying to a people who have blown it, who are in captivity, who are alone, who are miserable, who are mourning, who have the sackcloth of ashes all over their heart and all over their life. And they're sitting there and they're going, God, how could you care? Why would you want me? Why would you desire to bring joy into this type of a life? But listen to what he says. He says, I have seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it all. But I will heal them anyway. There is nothing in your life that God hasn't seen. He knows what you've done. He knows what you will do. 
And you know what his response to you today when you bring the excuse that says, God, but do you know all that I have done? Do you know all that has been done to me? God's response to you, to your heart in this moment is, I know it, I see it, and I'll heal it anyway. I'll heal it anyway. There's not a person that God will say to you, you know what, I'll do it for Jim, or I'll do it for, you know, for, for, for Paul, but you know, I won't do it for you. You've taken it over the line. No, he knows it all. He knows everything that's been done. And he says, I'll heal you anyway. I'll do it anyway. And then he continues, I will comfort those who mourn. You have a mourning heart. This time of year brings hurt and pain. Yeah, you may put on a face and act like everything's okay, but the bottom line is you feel very connected with, with the Grinch and Scrooge because of something that's happened in your past. That instead of a joyful season, it becomes a season of hurt and mourning and loneliness. God says, I'll bring comfort to those who mourn. I'll bring words of praise to their lips. May they have abundant peace both near and far, says the Lord who heals them. You want to talk about a great exchange. God in this verse is basically saying, listen, I know all your faults. I know everything you've done. I know everything you will, and I'll heal you anyway. I'll heal you anyway. I'll take you those mourning moments. I'll take those hurting things. And instead, I'll exchange them for moments of praise and joy and excitement and comfort. I'll take those moments where everything seems like it's falling down around you and you don't know where to turn and you don't know what to do. And instead, I'll bring your peace. I'll bring my peace and I'll give it to you. And he says, I'm going to do that both near and far to everyone that's close and everyone that's far away. God says, I will do this for you. Folks, listen, if there was ever a Christmas verse, it's this one. Why did Jesus come? Why do we celebrate the first advent? Because the God who knows it all, who knows every fault, every hurt, every moment in your life where you feel lonely and abandoned, he says, I feel it, I know it, and I'll heal you if you'll come to me. I'll exchange it all if you just come to me, says the God that will heal you. You don't have to walk around with pain. You can let God heal it. You don't have to walk around in fear. You can let God bring peace. This time of year, it's interesting how we sing about all of this stuff. But there's something different when we add to it that God knows it all. God knows what you have done and God knows what has been done to you. And God says, you know what? I'll give you some beauty for your ashes. I'll give you some, some oil of joy for your mourning. He says, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take your despair and I'll give you a garment of praise. He can do it. And he does it knowing it all. So many of us, we hide behind this lie of the enemy. This lie of the enemy that says we've done too much. That God won't do it for us because of blah, 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 blah. Here's the deal. 
that verse right there proves he's a liar and the father of all lies once again. He's a liar. Don't listen to his lies. He knows. And he says, I'll heal you anyway. I'll heal you spiritually. I'll heal you physically. I'll heal you mentally. I'll take all this stuff and I'll exchange it. If we'll let him. So here's the deal. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, as we close our service, here's the deal. We have now seen a shift, okay? The shift is quite simple. Before, it would have been very easy for us to believe the lie that it is up to God to do this. You know what I mean? Like, okay, God, I really want this, but you won't type of attitude. What we see in Isaiah is, is... is shifting things on us. Now, we know that God wants to heal. And there is nothing that you have done, will do, or done to you that will keep God from healing you if you want to be healed. If you want the insteads in your life, God will give them to you. If you want the mourning to be gone and instead an oil of joy to be added, he'll do it. It really becomes our call. Because he said, I'm willing and I'm able to do it. And so this morning, whether you're here or online, I just want to ask you a simple question. Are you hurting this Christmas? Maybe a relationship fell apart. Maybe a marriage fell apart. Maybe something didn't happen well. Maybe, maybe something, someone did something to you that and maybe it was this year or maybe it was a long time ago. And it doesn't, it's not just about around Christmas time. It could have happened in June, 15, 30 years ago. It doesn't matter. God wants to exchange it. He wants to take that mourning and that hurt and that despair and rub in his oil of love and joy and peace and comfort and goodness He wants to do that for you. And I've shown through Scripture, not from Aaron's opinion, but God's own word, that nothing you've said, nothing you've done, nothing you will do will prevent him from doing that. To keep him, he wants to do it. The question becomes, will you allow him to do so? And so this morning as we have a time of just turning to the Father and asking, we first need to remember that, God, it's about you. It's what you do in us. And so that's the first thing for us, that maybe we just need to to come to you, God, and just say, you know what? I need that oil of joy poured in. I need you to do something magic, not magical, excuse me. I need you to do something miraculous in my heart and in my life right now. And for others of us, maybe that's taken place, and, but we're just not where we need to be. Maybe the fire's gone out a little bit. Maybe there's been a little bit of hurt. That There needs to be some oil rubbed in. God wants to do that for you. He doesn't want to just allow it to get to the top. He wants it bubbling over. He wants to make you a fragrance for those around you. But regardless, 
God wants to do it. And so this morning, what I'm going to ask is as as I pray for you and over you, that you, in turn, would be praying to the Father and saying, hey, I need that. That's what I need in my life. Whether it's a little bit or an ocean of it, God is here and he wants to do it. So, Father, we come to you right now. And, Father, for those that are mourning, for those that are hurting, Father, for those that are dealing with pain and scars and hurts and all these things, for those that this time of year, it is not joyful, it is not exciting, it's it's actually a time of loneliness and hurt, that, Father, in this moment you would come and you would be the great exchanger. That, Father, you would pour in that oil of joy and whether there's healing that needs to be taken place or or whether there needs to be a fire that's rekindled in us or whether our lives, quite honestly, just stink right now and we just need to have the fragrance of your Holy Spirit just to be beaming out of us. God, whatever it is, God, no matter what it is, God, you have promised us that you would do this, that you would heal us, that you would minister to us in a powerful way. You have said you would do it and now we come to you and say, Father, Father, please do what you promised in us. Let the joy of the Lord in your presence be our strength and our song. Let it be something that changes us from the inside out. Something that only you can do as we are in your presence. Father, for those that are weak and tired and wore out, Father, I pray that you would allow the joy of the Lord to be their strength in a powerful way. We love you, God. You are so good. We worship you this morning. Thank you that you do it, that you will do it. You are so good, and we worship you this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for being the great exchanger. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Well, listen. I want to encourage you, okay? We got one last week, okay? I know that there's probably a lot that needs to get done. There always is. But listen. When you begin to have those moments where it's like, oh, my goodness, and all these types of things, okay? Let, Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. And you get that by being in God's presence. So take a moment, stop, you know, get with the Lord again and let him fill you up with his joy and his peace and his goodness. And let that be what just allows, it just just saturates you and everybody around you this season, okay? Awesome, cool. Listen, a lot going on. Make sure you're aware. Love to have you here on Friday, or should be Saturday at 5 o'clock for Christmas Eve. And um, it's just going to be a special, special time, okay? Enjoy your week. I look forward to spending it with you. Have a great week, and God bless you. Have a great time celebrating Jesus and his birth, and we'll see you on Saturday for Christmas Eve, okay? Awesome. We'll see you soon.